Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. In some ways, this is kind of an emergency episode. In case you were asleep at the wheel for the last 40 days, you may not have seen what went down in Pakistan recently. I'm sure most of you did, but Aaron Duragati went over there with a few friends and the purpose of the mission was to just have adventures and they were using their paragliders to get up into super high terrain in the Himalaya and then ski and mountaineer and ice climb and um, kind of a troll of his. So I was watching all this stuff go down on Instagram, went out to US Nationals and boom, on X Contest, I see that he has done a 285K FAI triangle in the Himalaya by himself. Uh, Apparently the end of that was pretty scary, which you'll hear about. And then the whole world went, what? And then two days later, he went even bigger, 312K FAI triangle. So I pinged him on WhatsApp and said, my God, dude, what in the world just happened? You gotta share your story. And he called me right afterwards from the Islamabad airport at four o'clock in the morning. And I had just landed at goal. And in Chelan after a really fun day of flying and he just had me in stitches. It was unbelievable. And so I said, man, we got to record this. So here you go. Here is Aaron's journey, 40 days in the Himalaya, the biggest mountains in the world, having some proper adventures. Enjoy. Aaron, uh, you called me a couple of days ago from the Islamabad airport, I was I had just landed at goal and the at the nationals and man, every, I hung up the phone and everybody's going, God, who was that man? You sounded really excited. <laughs> um, you know, I I'm one of your biggest fans. I've been following your last uh, this crazy adventure you just had in Pakistan, and so I kind of knew what was going down. And then at the end, you had these two monster flights, which we'll talk about, but. Let's start at the beginning. What what was the mission of this thing to begin with for those who aren't like me and followed you like crazy? Because your videos of this, you know, just stuffing it into these coals and skiing pow was, uh, man, what an epic adventure. So what was the, I know this was your first time to Pakistan, right? Yeah, it was the first time, yeah. And, the, and it was all, I mean, did you, I know you didn't go over there, I don't think specifically to send these big flights like you did at the end, right? It was all this kind of mixed route stuff. Yeah, actually, I start uh, for Pakistan with a very open mind and uh, with the idea of doing uh, combos with uh, the glider and the ski. And then, but I didn't have a specific goal because I didn't have been there before and so I don't know the place and I don't know which weather we will gonna get so I was just going for an adventure and yeah I was just living somehow day by day what the weather and the condition and my body let me let me do and where where did you have a base where where, where did you start from basically um Actually, I was not alone. We was like four. It was uh, me, uh, Fabi Bull, which is a super strong alpinist climber. And in the last uh, three years, he is spending really a lot of time of flying. And his level is uh, amazing, good for flying such a short time. But it's short in matter of years, but it's 
he already collect a lot of flying hours, so he's uh, quite experienced already. And he has been in Pakistan already last year with the Frenchies, with Antoine, and uh, so he know the place. Um, mm. And then was uh, Will, uh, Will Sim, it's a British uh, climber, um, working as a mountain guide in Chamonix, um, which uh, get really into paragliding as well. And then it was uh, Jake Holland called, which is uh, also like a, a very, very good uh, pilot, a good all-rounder, alpinist, uh, skiing. And he does uh, professionally uh, video, video maker is his job. So he was uh, taking footage mm. and okay. uh, recording the things. And uh, basically, um, yeah, I decided decide last year to to spend these uh, about 40 days, a bit less than 40 days in Pakistan. And uh, yeah, as I say at the beginning, I was just wishing to have uh, adventure there and see what's possible to do, see, see the mountains, see the place, and take the best out of it. And were you up in the Hansa Valley? Were you kind of where Antoine and a lot of these and Tom and have kind of made their their base? Is that is that where is that just the logical place to be? Yeah, exactly. Uh, we was in Karimabad, exactly, which is uh, in the Hunza Valley, north of uh, Gilgit, which is the let's say biggest town in the area, um, close to basically the Skardu and. Uh, the Baltoro Glacier, um, very close to Nanga Parbat, uh, so K2. Uh, actually, just above Karimabad is uh, the Rakaposhi. It's the uh, biggest mountain. It's 7,800. Then it's uh, Ultar. It's uh, Hunza Peak, uh, just behind the um, Baturasar Glacier. Um, Hisper Glacier. It's just somehow this Karimabad. It's some, in a way, you can you can make a comparison with uh, Chamonix. Just uh, yeah, I mm. would say at least ten times bigger for uh, the way you can go in the mountain. And did you spend quite a bit of time there just in the beginning? I, I know you guys had really bad weather to start off with, right? Yeah, basically. Uh, we arrived there, and it was uh, end of May. Uh, some a group of three French guys was there before us. Uh, they had really poor weather. Uh, somehow, like in the Alps in the spring, so you know you can have some um, amazing good days, but as well you can have a lot of precipitation and bad weather. So that was the situation when we arrived. Um, also down in the valley was quite cold and uh, it was having snowfall almost every day. Um, so at the beginning, actually, we was, uh, I mean, me, I was not disappointed because uh, I like also to hike. But the very beginning, we couldn't fly. And uh, yeah, you know, after like one week, 10 days, of always really unstable weather, you start to be a little bit uh, wondering if it's gonna change. But 
from the other side, I think it was just perfect because uh, uh, we did from the very beginning uh, a very good acclimatization. So we hike up on the the very first we did it was um, four thousand three hundred meter. There was like a um, a kind of a hut uh, for the for the farmers uh, with the animals, and we went to sleep up there. So the valley floor it's like two thousand meter. So it's quite interesting. You have like valley floor on two thousand, and then you have mountain basically eight thousand meter high. So the the gap it's huge, which is way more different than uh, in India where I has been. Uh, There was also 7,000 meter plus mountain, but the valley floor was uh, already 7,000. So actually it doesn't feel so big, the old stuff. Um, In Karimabad, the Hunza Mm. Valley, it's exactly the opposite. You are basically on the ground, uh, on the valley floor, and then you can go really, really high. So uh basically yeah we start on that sleeping kind of relief must be so striking yeah so we start to sleep the first night on 4300 and then uh uh then on 4 4 5 or 4 6 and then again or something like 4 2 and then up to 4 5 and then on 5000 i don't remember exactly but i think we spent all in all about 10 nights between uh, yeah, four and 5,000 meters. And uh, yeah, I think that was uh, really important for me because uh, I had experience in altitude, but uh, last time when I was uh, going high, I got also this mountain sickness uh, because I did a very bad acclimatization. I was thinking I'm good and strong and and I get really punished from the mountain. <laughs> and so this time I was a little bit more clever, Oof. also a little bit older. So this time I took my time and uh, it worked out really good because uh, I actually didn't want to use oxygen mm, a little bit for an ethic way and a little bit also because it's just, something more which you have to carry, which you will have to care about, which Mm. you will have to fit into the harness. Um, And I want to be like free, free from this, from this bottle in a way. So um, I had the chance to, Mm. to, to got uh, an oxygen bottle from um, basically through uh, an American guys uh, who has the oxygen bottle there. Uh, Brad Sanders, uh, but I basically mm-hmm. didn't didn't use it, and I think I, I have it in my room. Um, and after uh, I don't know two weeks or after I finished my acclimatization and I felt like I'm good, I I just give it back to Mansur, which is the driver, uh, the historical driver. He has been in touch with all the paraglider, which has been in Hunza Valley. And he's caring about the things there. Mm. So I give this back because uh, uh, Tom might need it uh, for his uh, project on the on the Baltoro. And so I was free of this and I felt mm. really good. And uh, the first flight actually I did, it was uh, a 200 kilometer flight with almost a 40, 
actually it was like a 40 plus average speed. So, and I went up on, uh, on 7,000 meter, 7,000 something. Um, and I felt good. My body was good on that altitude. And from that moment on, I realized, okay, um, I can fly big here. The reason why that day I didn't flew bigger, it was because it was really nasty. It was uh, really a lot of wind. It was coming um, some some storm. And so I went landing after 200 kilometers. Um, but there, uh, in that day, I realized I can fly big there if I will be uh, keen to take uh, the the somehow also the risk and the, the commitment you you have to take to go really big in Pakistan. So basically on this 200 kilometer flight, um, I realized that uh, the place give the chance to fly big. Um, but at the same time, right after this flight, the weather turns to be again unstable. And so, yeah, I went back to do combos with ski. Um, and the other very interesting thing is that in Karimabad, there is some culture of flying in matter that there was a pilot flying there in the uh, early 90s, end of the 80s. Um, and they was used to take off in a place called Eagle Nest, where you can get there more or less by car. But because we had this really bad weather, or bad, let's say, unstable weather. Um, we figured it out that for us would be better to use the very early morning to do our combo because, uh, yeah, mostly around noon it was uh, unflyable anymore. And so we find a place where we could took off already at 9 o'clock, 10 to 9, but really low, like on 2000. 900 meter, just 400 meter above uh, the place we was used to sleep, and uh, this place uh, was magic. It was working every time we went there. It was very little altitude, but you take off, you fly to a east uh, exposed little cliff where we saw all the time the birds uh, thermaling, and then from there you connect on a big wall, which you go up by soaring. And then from there, you fly towards uh, Ladyfinger, and then you get uh, a good altitude, like five, five and a half. Later in the, in the days, uh, from there, we reach already 6,000 meters. So, yeah, all to say that the very first part of the trip was uh, acclimatization and more mountaineering stuff, then switching for, uh, like, combos with the paraglider, using the glider to go up and ski and also sleep up. Still, we in the middle part of the trip, we were still sleeping up to keep the acclimatization. And then, well, and then I get really sick and I was super lucky because I get sick uh, when the weather was terrible. And so I didn't lose anything, but I was so sick that the night, I was uh, in the tent at 5,000 meters, and I get so bad. I probably was never so bad in my life. Or at the moment, I didn't felt I had another 
so bad night in my life. Is it food food poisoning? What what did you get? I think food poisoning, but in combination with uh, probably altitude, because I didn't eat any different than the other guys, but I'm definitely more sensible on my stomach. And uh, already in the morning after the dinner, I felt not too good. But my mistake was that uh, sometimes at home I don't feel so good. And then I do some sport and I get better. And I was sure. wishing to have staying there. And uh, so I I start for this hike up to 5,000 meters to sleep up. My idea was to spend two nights in the mountain with the bad weather. Because anyway, I couldn't do anything else. So I was thinking, okay, download some podcast. And uh, I was ready to sleep two nights in bad weather up in the mountain. but. Uh, basically when I arrived close to 5,000 I already vomited the first time then we decided with my friend uh, to put the tent and from there on it was a horror the whole night really switching between vomiting and uh, uh, shaking from the cold and vomiting and not getting air from, from I was not vomiting anymore because I didn't have anything in my body but the body will still want to eject something, so it was horrible. That's <laughs> oh, so bad in a tent too, when you have to get up and go somewhere, and oh, it's the worst. Oh well, I I didn't go anywhere. I vomited in the tent. <laughs> oh <laughs> my had, like, god! Yeah, no, it, it was really ugly. It was definitely oh. ugly. And then <laughs> I was just wishing the next day to have some decent weather to at least fly down. I had my little glider and done because I didn't have any power anymore. I felt like even lifting my arm was like a mission. But of course, uh, the weather was terrible, so it was not flyable. So from there, uh, we ski down like, yeah, a little bit, but not too much because uh, the side we went skiing was not much snow. So after uh, I had to walk on a moraine to get lower, and then eventually the weather was still ugly, but I say myself, okay, I have to fly because I will not manage to get down. I was like 20 times lower than the guys, and even this felt to me like super hardcore. I went like 10 minutes walking, 20 minutes staying, 10 minutes walking. And like this, I decided to take off and, and yeah, I survived the flight, which was not that horrible, also not that nice. And managed down the valley, uh, called Mansur, which picked me up on, on a jeep. And, uh, and then I spent, I think, three days in the bed, not moving, basically. And, and I think this cost me like about five kilo or something like this. After this, oh. uh, I was looking really something like after Ixal. <laughs> and, <laughs> and yeah. Without, without the smiles. Oh, yeah. my God, that sounds miserable. And then the funny thing was that as soon as I start to feel better, the weather start to be better as well. <laughs> and so basically, uh, I had one day where I was like so okay, good, 
And the day after, I went for flying, and I fly this 285. Um, and then from there on, start like a, a session of really good days and big action from my side, like uh, the 285, which was actually a 300, but on the very last thermal on Hisper Glacier, I it was already sunset and I was on 5,000 something meter. And I was expecting to close the triangle easily, but I get really splashed down from the from the catabatic wind from the glacier. And my tactic was at the beginning I stay to the mountain, then I say, okay, I will go in the middle of the valley because normally you get this very good lift when from all sides it's uh, sinking air, but not it was just. Uh, Glide ratio one, two, two and a half, something like this. Jeez. And uh, in the end, I land in a super ugly place, in a, in a gorge with the river below. And uh, on the side, the slope was maybe five, 50 degrees. And uh, yeah, I kind of managed to land safe on before getting in really trouble down to the river. So I land a little bit higher. And then while well, I walk, I walk back to the, I walk a couple of hours to get out from there, which was already night. And uh, yeah, then I, I got to the village and, uh, and then I did one day rest. And, and then the day after, I think, or two days after I went for, for uh, the best combo I did there or the most scenery, let's say, on Pulmit Tower. I ski a super nice uh, slope, and then I managed to take off on the end of the the slope and and then fly out the flat glacier. But then it was still early in the day, so I say, okay, why not? I took a thermal and I went to ski it for the second time. So I did two laps. <laughs> on, <laughs> on that so time. where are you? What- when you're doing the combos, what gear is that compared to, were you on, I, I saw pictures, you were on your X-Alps kit more or less, well, your X-Alps wing and then a Woody Valley harness for the big flights, but what were you doing for the combos? Yeah, so for the combos, it's, uh, I learned a lot from Fabi actually, because he had uh, experience from last year in Pakistan uh, with the setup. So I'm flying combo many, many years here in the Alps, but uh, I was not used to fly really long. And for some combo, we was flying like two hours, one and a half hours. So basically the harness... Just to get up? Flying, yeah. Uh, or to get on the place. Sometimes was some little cross, uh, cross-country flight to get on the, on the place you want to ski. Uh, so basically I had a string harness I had two options. I have like a string harness and something like a little bit more uh, um, structured than a string harness from Woody Valley, which is uh, called uh, Transalp 2, and the prototype of a string harness from Woody Valley. And uh, the very interesting part is that when you fly on the string harness and you have a backpack, the backpack is very uncomfortable to, to have it on yourself so what we basically do is to put like a express so this which you use for climbing the the webbing with the carabiners uh 
um, mm-hmm. on the carabiners of the of the of the harness, and then you click the carabiner of the the express basically on your shoulder strap of the backpack. So once you take off and you are comfortable that it's not too turbulent or whatever, you just take out your hands from the from the shoulder strap of the heart of the backpack and then basically the backpack slide below your uh, seat and then the the backpack it's just hanging below you and you don't have it anymore uh, on yourself so you don't have the weight anymore and hmm. the additional um, plus is that you can easily take the ski from the side of the backpack and put your ski on by flying because uh, you don't want to land in steep terrain without ski. And in general, you don't want to land on glacier without ski for the crevasse. So with this system, you basically take the ski, put the ski on and go landing wherever you want. So you're you're taking off normal foot launch with the skis yep. kind of hanging off your back and then they're hanging beside you when you're flying and you you, you click in? Yeah. Basically, so you've got, you're, so you're, you're taking off with your ski boots? Yes, 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 definitely. Okay. Oh, wow. So you, so it's full AT, you know, standard Alps AT gear for, you know, what you tour in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. And you're, so you're basically putting those... I like a mountaineering backpack. Uh, yeah. On the side of it are my skis and inside everything I need. So like... Uh, I was used to have uh, an ice crew, uh, my ice axe, uh, crampons, and some little food, some bar, and, uh, and some stuff. And uh, once in the air, um, yeah, I let slide basically my backpack below my ass. I think when you see the video of my, it's, it's, it may be easier to understand. So wh- when you fly, then you have the backpack below your ass. And then you you take your ski and you clip first the front part, and then the difficult thing is to clip the the yeah the behind thing. And to do that, uh, I have like um, um, a foot strap, which I use also for flying, like uh, the guys are using in acro to hold the feet. And like this, mm-hmm. I'm pressing my ski boot there and and then i get clipped in it sounds more difficult than what it's not that bad because huh? i yeah in your videos you're you know you're landing up in these coals and stuff with skis on and i wasn't sure how you were accomplishing that i've never seen that done that's a that's a cool that's neat yeah it's it's a really it's really good it's some technique i use a little bit different already on the Iger tour the winter edition um mm-hmm. because the guys there i think i was the only one taking out ski and be able to really uh use the speed bar um so basically i can take out ski put in ski in the air um yeah wow I didn't. wow are you using like the dinafit you know uh toe pieces that just have the, the two little you know the two kind of the standard for for the toes on, on the on the ski boots 
you know, the like the really sharp little clips. Yeah, well, actually, I you used, know the Dinafit um, invented. Uh, I didn't use a bindings from Dinafit. I used the one from uh, Skitrap, uh, which is mm. the only bindings which has a different system. So all the bindings, the skittering bindings, ATK or Dinafit or whoever else has the system that um, the pin, once you go to lock, they they close. And they close uh, at the same time, left and right together. Um, the ski trap, it's done different. It's the one most of the guys use also in the Timo World Cup. And you have to press it, and then it doesn't make a click, but it's just by releasing, he's closing. And left and right, they work uh, uh, alone. Uh, but it, wow. I, I was the only one having the ski trap. Fabi has uh, some ATK bindings, and it works as well. I think, in my opinion, that the, the ski trap is a little bit easier. But then the only let's say issue i have that my bindings it's super hard to get in the the heel because i have uh yeah bad experience with uh weak bindings and i don't want because i risk my life already by steep skiing uh quite a lot um with opening bindings so i have a binding which is really hard to get the heel in that's why mm. i need this uh this uh, webbing uh, on the foot strap to to press myself into the in, into the uh, be, behind part of the binding. And then, what what kind of snow conditions were you getting? Are you guys digging pits? Is it pretty high avalanche risk? Was it proper pow skiing, or was it just kind of more for the adventure? I mean, was the skiing good, or was it? kind of sloppy and um you know more of an adventure skiing uh we had actually everything we had uh super good snow like cold powder um and we had like spring snow like uh, fear and we had also like this uh wet bit heavy warm uh old powder so we had a bit mm. of everything but in general i would say the Quality was middle to high, definitely not bad. Anything wow. I ski was bad snow. And, and you were so, if I got this right, so you're taking off around two thousand meters, and you're you're kind of combo ridge soaring, thermaling, benching up, you know, flying some XC to get up into the five thousand and, and higher. How how long are the runs? You're t I mean, are you skiing back down to kind of valley base, or how how much snow? What, what was the, what were the kind of snow levels in terms of the elevations? Were, were yeah, these the, huge the snow long line, coolies you guys are skiing? Or? The snow line was uh, quite high. It's like about uh, four thousand two to four thousand four hundred. Four thousand okay. was the 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 lowest i think um so there was not long run so it was i think the longest like a thousand meter but uh yeah but there was it was not really about how long you ski but the quality and the the 
the whole yeah, things together, you know. Like uh, one of the line I ski with uh, Fabi, it was on Ultar Glacier. Um, and there basically we landed on a, not really tiny, but like a kind of balcony. Uh, because the, the big slope was uh, below some huge syrup. So I decided to land on the side, quite covered by some rock. Uh, we landed there. Actually, after, I don't know, like 10 minutes, we are packing the stuff. A huge avalanche go down. So actually, if we would have landed in the slope, we might have been dead. So we are there. Actually happy that the avalanche went, because normally after one avalanche, you are safe. So making our way to the slope and then ski the slope, really, really nice and amazing scenery. And then this uh, this uh, like slope ended on a flat or quite flat glacier uh, hanging over a thousand meter cliff, so you can't anyway ski <laughs> for there, you know. And so basically, we took off the glider again and uh, and take off again. And that day, we fly to the other side of the valley to Barbara Peak, and then we went skiing really nice powder and that day i landed i top landed exactly on the on the summit of this mountain probably just a little bit below and then we had amazing powder skiing on the upper part and then an amazing fear on the lower part so what do you want more in your life <laughs> that's just unbelievable you you said there's kind of a culture of flying there for for many decades and obviously there's a huge culture of climbing and mountaineering but what about ski touring? Were, were you running into other people that are, you know, making turns in this in this part of the world? It's not something I've heard of there much, if at all. Actually. Yeah, actually, there are some French guys uh, which uh, have skiing in this area. And uh, anyway, uh, when we was there, um, the so the Rakaposhi is the highest mountain, just very close to Karimabad. And then it's the Diran. It's a 7,200 meter. And this mountain was uh, already few few teams tried to ski down from uh, Diran, but they didn't because of uh, avalanche risk and stuff. And just now, uh, Leo, uh, Leo and another French guy, I don't remember exactly how he calls, they went for Diran and uh, Leo was... Uh, the freeride world champion five years ago, I think, mm-hmm. or four. And they they went for, for Diran, and I think they they skied down four days ago or something like that. Wow. So it's not much done, but some some guys have skied there. And the French guys last year, the 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 group of Antoine, it was Francois Ragolski, it was uh, um Fabi and I don't know the others. They was also there doing combos and they ski. So mm, like yeah. on Barbara Peak, they was skiing definitely. And uh, this line which uh, we did, me and Fabi, which I was just speaking about, uh, that probably no, almost for sure, no one has skiing there before. Uh, on Kulmi Tower, maybe the French guys was skiing this line before I like. One month before I was there, uh, not really in a combo way, or let's say they fly inside, they made 
camp, and then there was in some couloirs there. I don't know exactly which one, but maybe also the one I ski. So, yeah, I mean, still very few people, but there it's it's being done. Aaron, when you're when you're um, you know, before you went, did you put a ton of research into, you know lines that you know did you have a lot of lines laid out that you you know really wanted to ski if you had the right conditions you know just looking at google earth and maps and that kind of thing i'm just i'm not aware of what kind of resources you have there you know i wouldn't imagine there's an avalanche center putting out daily i wouldn't think maybe there is but uh you know putting out daily condition reports and that kind of thing or is it the kind of stuff are you just getting there and you're kind of on siting depending on the day and yeah. the and you're just yeah. so it's just kind of red pointing everywhere you're just okay we'll we'll try this today yeah exactly like okay i didn't I basically didn't even watch google earth where karima buddies <laughs> <laughs> okay so you have you have some success with the combos you get sick as hell and uh it's awful and then you have this this 285, which you know you put up on X contest, and the whole world went, "Holy shit, are you kidding me?" Uh, it sounds like kind of a dicey end. But be- before we get to the the, the next one, that you know that you had a day off, and then the, you had the the really big one. Then you and I talked about this the other day uh, when you when you called me from the airport. But give people some perspective who haven't been to the Himalayas. Uh, what are the, what are the main differences between flying in the Alps? Is it, is it stronger? Is it scarier? Is it, uh, you know, what paint the, paint the setting for us? Because obviously we all know it's huge. I just can't imagine what your brain <laughs> was trying to process, you know, and the altitudes of course are really high, but I'd love to just know, I think people would love to know, you know, is this a place that if you, you know, are a pretty skilled pilot, what should you be, what should you know before going to Pakistan? What can you expect? So for me, like the flying itself in in terms of uh, strengths of the thermal and uh, turbulence, it's uh, very, you can compare it uh, quite one-to-one to flying in the Alps in the spring. By mm-hmm. by strong conditions, so um, I spoke with uh, Brad Sanders, who has way more experience than me there, and he thinks the place is quite easy to fly. I mean, like the thermal, the thermal are not turbulent mm-hmm. and stuff like this. To me, I think at least the flight I had there was for sure more on the strong side uh, of of a uh, Alpine day, but but it wasn't like nasty or uh, or really bad. Uh, definitely, the altitude give you a little bit an extra speed, but this you don't really feel like. Uh, I didn't felt uh, that my reaction has to be really faster. Or uh, to me, the flying himself, uh, the sportive side of flying was quite similar as flying in the Alps. Uh, hmm. What is really different in Pakistan is that you are really by your own. And uh, the commitment you take 
sometimes it's not the whole flight, but there are some parts where you have to make this uh, uh, step, let's say, in the dark. Um, yeah, that's, that's more the challenge. Uh, because uh, landing, let's say you land in an easy place, maybe you walk a couple of days or uh, you will have to find another takeoff or wait a day for taking off again and get out of it. Uh, but there are also places where without uh, middle to high alpine experience, you will probably not survive the the next hours because uh, the glaciers are huge and uh, the the things related to the glacier are are big as well, like uh, crevasses, terracs, stuff like this. So to me, it's more. Uh, it was more this, like the real adventure side of going in places where you know more or less that uh, every decision you take, it's going to make your more or less your future. So in the good <laughs> and in the bad way. So yeah. I, don't, I didn't feel like I was flying on full on risk. Like uh, I, I felt like I, I was having quite a buffer because uh, I still want to go back home, you know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think the dimension there, it's really big and you feel uh, really small. Yeah, yeah. This, this is more the thing. When you when you woke up and you know the weather starts getting better when you woke up you'd had the 200k flight that was the weather was bad and then you 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 woke up this day I don't know if you saw it coming in advance you know if you oh okay but did you have some kind of a plan like that in mind or did you just start flying and then suddenly it was one of these things where okay this day is giving it to me on a platter I have to take advantage of it and you know and it all came together I, I guess what i'm saying is how much of it was planned versus how much just happened i mean because 285 you know even in the alps that takes that takes some planning you know you you know you and i tried it at anthols that day you know you you, you got to think about the launch and the time and the the route and you know it's a lot of ground to cover yeah it was not much planning to say um hmm. For sure, I did for myself some turning points. To I was like scouting maps, looking at the maps, the orientation of the valleys, and uh, making on my exit track some turning point to have an idea more or less where to go. But mostly, I was uh, actually uh, flying the sky, and actually both big flight I did. Actually, I did three flights quite big, which I'm quite proud of. And uh, and I changed uh, plan by flying. So by flying, I see different, the sky better in one direction and I follow, I follow the sky and I follow the mountain I can see because actually I'm still not very good in planning. And so... I tried to plan a bit, but uh, but it was, yeah, mostly following my flow of the day. 
Um, and about the weather, really, um, there we already from the beginning, we decide to, or decide, not that we decide, but we find out that we have just to open this, the eyes and look the sky, uh, how it developed. And I was really happy with myself because there was also days where I didn't want flying uh, either combo or stuff um, because I had this feeling, to me, today it's not good because I was looking at the cloud, I was looking at the sky and I say I don't go flying. And in fact, for example, those two days, also the other guys went up on the takeoff, but then they didn't fly. So mm. um, it was it was more, uh, yeah. The the forecast was was not a real forecast in a way. Really? So, so it's really just kind of just looking up and deciding if this is the day. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind of this. Yeah. I mean, are you know? I would think that mountains that big, you know, even on the on the low wind days, you know, like you said, with, with the glaciers being so big and the valley system so long and so massive, the, were, you know, were valley winds a big issue? You, you said the catabatics could, I would think would be really strong sometimes, but um, what, were, what was the wind like to, to deal with? Well, like, um, so we find out the rules which Fabio already knows from the year before, that once on Rakaposhi start to um, uh, pouring some rain or snow, it's immediately time to go landing. Immediately. Because mm. it was like 10 times stronger than a strong fern day in the Alps. So once on this mountain was uh, getting some precipitation, it gets super crazy strong wind down in the valley, like amazingly strong. Like even, I mean, part of the dust, but almost the, the stone, the little stone was flying, you know. So Jesus. Um, this was a thing we, we learned from the beginning by looking at the sky and seeing, and seeing in, in real time what's happening down in the valley. Um, but generally, on the good days, like the days I fly big, it was not much wind. It, it was not even much wind on 6,000 meter plus. And, um, and yeah, the glacier does wind, but in the afternoon. So you will have to find yourself in the good place in the afternoon. So if you are like higher than this cold air, which is pouring down you are fine if you get in this flow you are really you are really in a bad situation and that was the key of my 312 kilometer flight because actually it was in a way similar but in the end i decided to fly a parallel valley where the glacier was a little bit lower and and thanks to this i think i managed to close the triangle because the fly of the 285, I got this uh, bad experience. And so on the 300 something, I fly another valley where the glacier is just way lower. And I didn't get any catabatic wind from it. And I fly all the way back to Karimaba. 
how how do you <laughs> how do you deal with what's in your head now going forward? I can't imagine <laughs> what's what's in your mind. You know the 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 bigness, the what you've just seen. Uh, you know, and the style that you saw because you did both these flights by yourself. Um, you know, but you you saw the mountains of Pakistan in a way that really nobody has. I mean, people have flown there and seen you know bits of it like you have, but um, I don't even know what this question is. It's it's how I, I can't imagine um, what's in your mind now. I, I mean, you saw something that is just totally remarkable and I'm sure very hard to articulate. Yeah, well, I feel myself uh, super lucky to have this chance and, uh, and uh, to have done it a little bit also, um, how to say, uh, yeah, happy with myself that my my brain and my willing bring me so far, um, and also and also quite proud of myself in a way, proud and yeah, in the other way maybe it was a little bit stupid, but um, as I told you already. Actually, the big flight I did after my crash, which I had, and, uh, and it was quite amazing doing this flight with the pain I had. So yeah, I did, really want. Let's talk about that again. I forget, what what when when was the crash and what what happened? I, Basically, that the day social. the the last um, uh, combo I did on the Gurmit Tower. Uh, which was perfect, and I skied two times this slope, and it was super great, everything. I fly then to Karimabad, in the, in the village, and I went for landing in a place I, I was landing already often, so a place I know. Mm, any really super sketchy, dangerous place for landing, and also the day was going to die so it was no valley wind strong no thermal so i just went for landing and actually the 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 crash was not very spectacular i just arrived i have to land a little bit uphill so i slow down my glider let it shoot and going for a nice landing but probably in this moment i got little tailwind i guess and so the flare, it didn't happen as I planned it's going to happen. And I land a little bit hard. Definitely, if I will have whatever protector uh, on my back, on my ass, nothing will happen. But I was without anything below myself, and, uh, and I hit a stone with my back. So... At the beginning, I was thinking that probably it's broke because it was really painful, really, really painful. But then I was there anyway by myself. So what should I do? I start to pack my glider and start to walk. And by walking, I felt it was painful, but but okay. So maybe it's not broken. And uh, went to to my room where I was staying and the guys they was up in the mountain so I was alone and uh, I didn't know I took some painkiller and uh, 
some cream. And I was thinking, okay. Um, then in the before going sleep, I was thinking, what the fuck can I do tomorrow? It's gonna be even more painful, but I wanna fly. I want to fly, so I decide to hang my harness on the place I was sleeping and seeing how it's gonna be to sit in the harness because at that moment I couldn't sit on a chair. It was too painful. But my wish was that maybe in the harness it's gonna be better. And <laughs> funny why it was exactly <laughs> like this. So I sit into the harness. And it was way less painful than sitting on the bed, sitting on a chair, which was the worst anyway. And so I say, okay, so then maybe it's possible. But I still have to think how I will make it to the takeoff because it was a thousand vertical meter hiking with 20 kilos. But I say, okay, now I go sleep and I will see. So I went sleep in the morning. I stand up. I was in really pain, but I put my backpack on. I pull all the shoulder straps that it was not touching much my lower back and and somehow I hike up and and it I arrive up I took a uh, one painkiller and then I say okay I'm gonna take off and see if if it's gonna be too painful I'm gonna go landing and if I not do too much painful I'm gonna fly and like this I start flying and fly and fly and then when it was midday and I had like a 30 something average speed I say okay maybe I can keep on going and anyway I was anyway so far from the place I took off that in a way I had to go back so I keep on flying <laughs> <laughs> and and then I keep on flying and flying and then I had to change my plan because the sky was looking different than what I was planning to fly. And I find myself really low in a super high plateau where the valley floor was like about 4,000 meters and I was 200 meters above the valley floor in completely shady sky. No sun, like zero sun, just shadow everywhere. And I was low and I was thinking, okay, now. If I'm going to land here, it's going to be at least one week walking. My back is super painful. Oh, it's going to be time to find something something to get up. And I believe so much on this that it, in the shadow and fully cl cloudy sky, it built up like a little cloud. You know, when even when it's everything dark, then you see that a little things start to build. and I went to this little ridge and I got the thermal and with this I get back on 6,000 and slowly I get out of the this plateau, then back in the main valley and then fly to Rakaposhi and then I become really fast because in that part of the flight my average speed went around 28 or 27, I just lose 5 kilometer an hour average speed because I was just in surviving mode. But then I start to think, okay, but I can still make it on 300. And then I was not feeling any pain anymore. I was just in my flying flow. And I keep on flying, keep on flying, and it becomes better and better and better. And then it comes this golden hours, sun starting going down, and I keep on flying the fastest I can. And last thermal, it was actually 
years, five and a half thousand on the sunset, sunset like in front of me. And with this last thermal, I took the good valley without much catabatic wind and fly all the way back to Karima. That was it. <laughs> it just must have been on the ecstatic moon. I can't imagine just the uh, just the emotions of all of that. Were you after the big flight, the two eighty five? And you know, you're you're doing all these flights without oxygen. Were you pretty wiped out? Were you tired? No, no. I mean, after one flight, I always after a big flight, I take one day rest um, from the two eighty five because actually from the two eighty five I come back home I think midnight because uh, yeah because I get splashed down and I had to walk and and though I was coming back super late so the next day I did nothing and actually. Uh, yeah, it was this tour de force of doing the combo, crashing, flying the 300, and then the day after I rest. But then the, the day after, after, I went again flying. And it was basically the day before I, I have to leave to take the plane. And I say myself, okay, now you will go easy because you can't bomb out. Uh, you have your back, it's sore, and just go easy. So I start with the idea of going easy, but then again, I came into this super mood where I just fly, fly, fly. But there, it, it's a place where it's quite commitment with jumping over a ridge, and then you have like a flat glacier. And there I jump over this ridge, and, and I say no. Today it's not a day, and I turned back. So I just went over, and I didn't feel like good, and I just turned back. And I think that was really good, because I think if you have to listen a little bit on yourself, and and so I turned back and I say fuck it today I'm not gonna fly there, and I fly back, and then I was a little bit for like a five minute without a plan what to do. And then I just start again to follow the sky and a little bit the FIE sector. And I'm flying towards basically south. And then I get the first big present was to flying not really close, but close enough to see quite good the Nanga Parbat. So, so basically totally a different route I fly of the two other big flights I did. So I, I came as close as for me possible to see quite well the Nanga Parbat. And then on the way back, flying back towards uh, my starting place, I had the option to do like uh, a little bit of detour, but safe and for sure easy to fly, or to fly towards the really big mountain, Rakaposhi and Dira, where it's one saddle on, I don't remember, but not too high where I could jump over and coming back in the valley of Karimaba. But the downside of this option was that if I will fucked up, I would land in a place crazy wild. And, and so I have these two voices. Uh, should I do, should I not? But then I say, yes, for sure you have to do it. So I went for it. <laughs> I arrived to Dira Narakaposhi and I was below, way below the, the summit. 
but I felt like that I have good chance to pass over the saddle. And I went for it, and of course, I didn't pass it. And then it was like this moment with really, really scareness because below me, it's like huge, massive glacier full of just um, crevasses. And, and I know if I will not find a thermal now, I will land there. Plus, I will also miss the plane. That was for sure. Right. That I'm gonna miss the plane. <laughs> and and then yeah, I got again like a very weak lift, like the weakest of the of the whole month. And I thermal this like gold, and I make it just enough to pass with maybe fifty meter over the ridge and being on the other side. That was maybe yeah, maybe maybe was the biggest emotion of the whole trip. Passing this reach, wow. <laughs> and that fly was, Man. let's say, just two hundred thirty kilometer, but it was full of emotion. Wow! So that was the last one. So, you, so yeah, after yeah, the three twelve, there was another one. Yeah, yeah, you're insatiable. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you ever want to just go to the valley and drink beer and <laughs> call it good? <laughs> well, in Pakistan, you can't drink beer. Ah, of course. Yes, uh, that's right. <laughs> um, so 40 days, it sounds like the adventure wasn't over even when it was supposed to be over. It was a, quite an epic even to get to the the the, the airport uh, where you called me. Where do you take it from here, man? Is uh, I, I, I'm, I'm sure you're back with your family and they're very happy to have you home. But uh, how do you how do you deal with the I've been calling it lately the mirage of success, you know, that, that, okay, we've finally done as much as we need to do and we can back off, but I know that's not your style. So what's, what's next? Well, um, now I, <laughs> yeah, actually what's next is to get, uh, to get in shape and not having pain, uh, to my back. <laughs> uh, once I come back Does home, it... I, uh, straight to the doctor. And uh, luckily, he say I'm like crazy lucky that I didn't broke my back really? because uh, it's I have like uh, half of my back it's black, black and violet. <laughs> so oh, you really hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so oh. well, the first thing it's now to get uh, to get fit again, but uh, in my head it's now full-on competition mode because uh, mm. I I want now to compete and uh, uh, the very next uh, thing which I don't know I really hope I can do it's the competition I organized with Paul together mm -hmm. this uh, hike and fly Saliva hike and fly trophy which is in my home place and it's my race so this is going to happen now in uh, two weeks the 16th of July and then I'm gonna I'm gonna prepare myself for the Dolomiti Superfly, and then to the Chamonix Mont Blanc Air Tour, and then I'm really looking forward to come in your place to compete and compete. Yeah, on the... we're looking forward to your talk. I can't wait. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure I'm sure you've got something already you know put together, but I hope you show us some of this Pakistan footage. Yeah, oh, man, yeah for sure. That's... 
and uh, the Red Bull Dolomiten one, and then and then I'm gonna go back on the on the classical competition, and mm -hmm. I really would like to to win a third uh, World Cup uh, super final. And this year it's gonna be in Mexico, and I think I like the place oh. quite a lot. Um, yeah, Valle yeah, is fantastic. Say, I can't wait to race with you there. That'll be great. Yeah, let's say now awesome. I'm I'm switching totally now from the adventure mode, which was from the beginning of the year till now. Even though I did some competition, like just before Pakistan, I was in Slovenia. I did super nice competition, not crazy high level, but it went really good for me. Uh, I won it, but. Um, I love to compete in Slovenia. I love to compete in Tolmin. And, uh, but a part of this, uh, I was more in adventure and combo uh, mood. But now, basically, yeah, the second part of the summer is for me now competition. And yeah, let's see. <laughs> the... I wanted to ask you just one more thing about Pakistan. We jumped off to there to, to the future, but to bring us back to to Pakistan, you you mentioned the other day when we were chatting that those the two days, the two big ones, you know, the weather was good, but it wasn't great. You you felt like you know there's there's much bigger potential there to be had. And talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so I'm sure that the days I was flying, there was really good days but it was not perfect days uh because uh on the 285 i had a very slow beginning and then uh a fast middle and end part um on the 300 kilometer flight i had a very good start like uh the first uh, one third of the flight was really fast but then i get Basically, I, I could bomb out three times and my I was in surviving mode for uh, more than two hours. And then towards the end was again fast and I make 312. So I'm quite sure that in a good day, in a really good day, with, um, with experience I have there now, I could really go for a 350 to 370 kilometer but at the same time what I was also saying also with the friends is the question is if really Pakistan is the place for going record or it's better to go in Pakistan just not looking the numbers and going for adventure and then the numbers comes anyway by themselves you know so sure. I don't know if it's right to, um, I mean, right, it's, it's not the right word, but I don't know if, if it's really makes sense to speak about uh, 350, 370, or even 400 kilometer in Pakistan, because it's, it's, a, it's a place for adventure, I think, and, and not only for thinking, like, for example, for me, Brazil, I have been twice and I flew the 500 kilometer, which was a goal of mine. And there, really, it was just about number for me. It was uh, mm. 
sure the flying itself it's cool but i was there uh because i won 600 i mean the first time i won 500 and i did it but then uh, the second time i won 600 and and i was not much looking about the beauty of the flying and the place but more about the numbers so mm. maybe for me i want to keep i don't know if i will go back in pakistan but um but maybe um i want to keep this place at least with the idea to keep it for real adventure flying and combos and not for chasing numbers mm. so I didn't. I didn't realize you said the one place would be a, a week long walkout potentially. I I didn't realize. I mean, obviously, when people think of the Himalayas, they think of it as being quite remote. But I also, I've also I've also thought there's you know really a lot of villages. But I guess that's not at the upper at the really high levels. You know, at the really high elevations, then it just gets snow and ice. Depends on the place, like in the valleys, the main valleys, wherever you land, somehow you will get a ride or uh, you will get out quite easy. Um, but for example, from Gilgit to to, um, to the Nanga Parbat, let's say, um, yeah, there it's this kind of, it's not a real plateau, but it's, uh, it's kind of an island between two big valleys and there for example it's nothing or the Hisper Glacier I think it's like 70 or 80 kilometers long and that's just a glacier so Jeez. there it's definitely other dimension and um, like for example when I did the Xpeer uh, I took part Two times, 2014 and 2016, 2014 and 2016. I I really like it the Pyrenees because there was they are way more wild than the Alps are. So in the Alps, mm. it's really rare you fly longer than 10 minutes and you don't see a house or something, or a hut or a trail or something. On the Pyrenees, mm. you might have flown. Uh, 30 kilometer without seeing a trail or a hut or a house or or a, or a or a human, but in Pakistan, you can fly really long <laughs> without seeing anyone <laughs> and anything. And uh, what, what? yeah, that's uh, yeah. I mean, I just this this the the contrast and the size and the scope of of what you saw and what you did just. Just unbelievable, man! I'm, I'm proud of you. It's just uh, incredible, incredible, and I'm I'm glad you you made it safely home. Um, you you brought up the X pier. We got to talk about that because that just went down. Uh, you were you were busy, I'm sure, and didn't see. I don't know if you how much of that you saw, but hell of a race this year. Uh, just unbelievable. They had a lot of everything. They did a lot of miles on the ground. Everybody, uh, even Kriegel, because it was the first couple of days was pretty much a ground game, and then. Uh, you know, they had a much different course. It kind of did this this big up and around thing uh, all around the the big mountains. And uh, and man, I, Maxime looked like he had him at the end, and then Kriegel did his thing and got him. And it was just God. He's he's uh, 
he really truly is uh special isn't he uh, just remarkable uh talent there and yeah the move he made on Maxime there at the end was was uh was pretty extraordinary i don't know how he knows how to do this kind of stuff but he just taps in yeah his... i didn't i didn't follow but uh i just see now yesterday a little bit of course that he that Spiegel won and Maxime and uh, Remy um uh, yeah yeah i mean the level it's it's you know by yourself it's super crazy high and but still Kriegel uh, I mean it's almost any other sportman in in all the sports which has such a long legacy um yeah so somehow it's just special what do you want to tell him <laughs> yeah it's just it it really is special um uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is the XALPS. The, the application period just opened. The last time we talked, you weren't so sure. Where are you sitting now? Uh, still on that point. I think I will do the application. Yeah. But uh, but I, I don't know. Like It's not, honestly, it's not really about the race himself, but it's more about the around things which will mm. in the end make me deciding if I do or not. So mm. right now yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I I'm for sure still willing to compete a lot and that's why I'm gonna go for the for the X red rocks and all the other comps I do. Um but uh about XLs I'm I'm still not sure yet. Aaron, thanks for sharing this all with us. Uh, I'm sure all the people listening are really hoping you do, uh, as, as I am, of course. You're so fun to watch every single time, but I get it. We've done it a lot, too. So, uh, But congratulations on just an epic adventure. Uh, you, you blew all of our minds, and uh, it's good to hear about it just right when you come home. So while it's all still fresh, but can't wait to see all the all the videos and all the stuff you guys produced from this just insane trip, but glad you're safe, buddy. Glad you're home. Yeah. Thank you very much, Gavin. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to see you on the Dolomite Superfly. No, are you coming in Europe? Yes, I am. Yeah. We'll be there next month. I'm going to be supporting Ben and, uh, yeah, it'll be a fun, it'll be, it'll be great fun. It'll be a good time. Uh, yeah we yeah. won't be racing at your at your pace but it'll be really you know i've never supported anybody so and ben supported me four times so i owe him it's gonna be, we'll have a blast it'll be a lot of fun uh, it's gonna be nice. sure. cool thank you very much thank you buddy talk soon if you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable you can support it in a lot of different ways you can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing, a lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind the scenes costs. So if you can support us financially, all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. 
And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out. We put a new show out every two weeks. So, for example, if you did a buck a show and every two weeks, it'd be about $25 a year. So way cheaper than a magazine subscription, and it makes all of this possible. Uh, I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but I for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people. And these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, You can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, We've tried to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, little video casts that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear. We don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us then just let me know and i'll set you up with an account of course that'll be lifetime and hopefully and you're being in a position someday to be able to support us but you'll find all that on the website uh all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought cloud-based mayhem merchandise t-shirts or hats or anything you should be all set up you should have an account and you should be able to access all that bonus material now thank you so much for listening i really appreciate your support and we'll see you on the next show thank you (laughs) 